This episode of Attention to Detail is brought to you by our sponsors, Hop Hen Brewing and Valley Electrical Group. Brayshaw, can he get one against the fly of play? Angus Brayshaw does. Important goal for Melbourne. Sparrow tries to control it. Does enough to get it to Langdon. Langdon can go deep. And Chandler can mark in the square. Well done, Bowie. Attack the football. Turnover opportunity. Day again got a fist to it. It was heading for Smith. It's picked up by Melksham. And the Dees respond. Martin pulls the trigger on the kick. Kazi from behind and then right in front. And the Dees celebrate their skipper's 200th in style. They've locked in the double chance and they're still in the hunt for second spot. Hello and welcome to Attention to Detail, the podcast for D's fans, by D's fans, as we hold on for dear life aboard the rollercoaster ride that is barracking for the Melbourne Football Club. My name is Tim Langley and I am joined each and every week by my co-host Simo, mate. D's are top four locked now for the third year in a row. It was a scrappy win against a, a very tough Hawthorne side, which we knew was going to be the case heading into the game, but... How are we feeling, mate? It's a it's a it's a nice feeling almost to, to have that kind of sort of thing set in what has been a really tight competition in twenty twenty three. Yeah, correct. I'm feeling really happy about being able to yeah beat a side that has just come off beating Collingwood and Bulldogs. So you think it was a better win than what you would have thought, obviously a lot four weeks ago, for say, but. For them even to be able to stack up against us, even without John Newcomb and Mitch Lewis, I thought it was a true testimony of where they where they've improved across the year. And yeah, we we had it stuck against against us. We had a slow start, but I don't think we really blew them away at any stage. But we were just we just chipped away nicely, and I think our defensive game got on top of us, on top of them. Sorry, and we were able to restrict them well enough and kick a winning score. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and look. They were up to the challenge right from the first bounce, and you knew that that was the intensity that they were going to bring. And and to be fair, they they clearly kind of outmuscled us a bit in that first half. And look, I wouldn't say worrying signs set in, but there was a little bit of uneasiness. I have to admit, just seeing us being probably a little bit complacent at times around the ball and and our lack of pressure in that first half. And yeah, look, they were making the most of their opportunities and and owning a lot more of the footy than what we were. So. It was, yeah, as you said, slow start. We built our way back into it and we're just able to grind in to, yeah, a pretty satisfying win, all, albeit without really any dominant performances from our, from our big key stars. So I think that's got to be a really pleasing aspect as well, like finding another way to win uh, without the, the big guns firing. Yeah, correct. And we'll, we've been saying it the last few weeks of how challenging our run home is because we've got, we've got sides who are up and coming. They're playing a good brand of footy. They've got leg speed, which we've kind of been, it's kind of been our Achilles heel, which has enabled you know, sides to get, you know, figure it out, figure us out a little bit, in particularly with Stephen May. But I think we'll back to our best. We, in particular, I thought Lever, Malcolm, Gus Brayshaw, huge in terms of not allowing, sorry, not allowing. Um, when Petrarca and Clary were down, he was the one that stood up along with Viney and, it was it was just great to see. It definitely was, and look, it was a it was a cracking cracking day to be at the footy. You know, three twenty Sunday afternoon, but an absolute pearl of a winter's day in Melbourne. You know, seventeen degrees. It was quite warm. Heaps of people out, like great crowd. So fifty thousand topped the mark, which you know was a, a fantastic 
result for a great cause as well too in the BCNA Pink Lady match in which they currently raised $1.5 million towards uh, those who have suffered breast cancer or have been impacted, families that have been impacted by breast cancer. So again, a, a great cause that Melbourne's been a part of for a number of years now. And and look, we haven't even touched on it yet, but also a really special day for, for two of our our demon army, and that, that is our skipper, Max Gorn, who played his 200th, and, and another workhorse in Alex Neil Bullen, who played game 150. And, and both of them put in serviceable performances, but I think for Melbourne as well, too, to get over the line for those two players who play a really crucial role. Well, clearly, Max does, but I think more you know for Nibbler as well, too, who's been a, a great story for the footy club about how he's sort of developed into a young leader and, and been a really integral part of Melbourne's success, being a bit of a barometer about when he plays his best footy, Melbourne play their best footy. So we know what Max is all about, but it was great to see for both of them that the Ds could get over the line. Well, they're definitely two true demons where they've just fought into the club and have been a part of that culture shift. And you can tell by the type of players they are, their role player. I mean, Max obviously huge, but Neil Bullen being the ultimate role player, which you know, we, we labelled it the Spargo Award, but we could probably argue it's the Nibbler Award now because he's he's so underrated and the, the, the things he does enables us to put a lot of pressure on the footy and, you know, it makes defence a lot easier when you've got players like him putting constant pressure on and, yeah, racking up the case to try and cover ground. Look, he was pretty much over. He was having a pretty lean patch, but in his last month, I thought Nibble has been amazing, just being able to impact the scoreboard a bit more and set up his teammates. I think it's been amazing to see. It has been. And look, we we didn't get to... We, we didn't know last week of recording that these milestones were coming up, so we didn't really chat about it at all. But I got to take Harper yesterday afternoon and, and for somebody who you know is starting to kind of bring my immediate family now in, into the footy and, and her being at an age where she understands who the Ds are and and able to <laughs> point to a couple of players. But Big Max is always the one that's on her mind. And we say, you oh, know, we're going to the footy. And she goes, oh, yeah, go to see Big Max. And she always points him out now on the TV. And it, look, it's it's just a really proud moment to yeah, as, as a dad to kind of instill the same values and love for the game I think she loves the game <laughs> a little bit, but like what happened to me when I was young. So it, I know that looking back at it at some, you know, many years down the track to be able to tell Harper that you went to Max Gorn's 200th year, you knew who he was. You'd say that if she could comprehend it, he would be her favorite player. She's able to recognize him. And I think, you know, we'll all be talking about Max for, as long as we live now as being one of the greatest demons ever to play, I feel pretty privileged to be able to, yeah, sort of share that moment with the family. So I really enjoyed that. And she loved seeing Maxie out on the field. And we sat down level one right near the race so we could see him all come out. And it was, uh, yeah, a really, a really great day. And, and you know, the wind just, just topped it right off. So, no, nah, it's been awesome. But anyway, let's let's move on to some other news. Uh, yeah, an exciting, exciting contract extension for one of our young stars, mate. Yeah, Taji Waiwen signed on for two more years, which is amazing. And, you know, we've seen him play, I think, three games, it was, and play pretty, three pretty solid games. He looks clean. Um, so it'd be great to see his development through, uh, whether it be the AFL or VFL. I think he's, he's in pretty good touch, which will we'll segue to the VFL. He had another 20 and kicked a goal. It just seems like he's a lot more, he's, he's gotten more cleaner with the footy. I think that's probably the biggest thing since going from 
VFL to AFL and then AFL back to VFL. I think he's tidied up his ball use a fair bit. So hopefully we might see him back in the side. Spargo had another 23 and a goal. I thought he was pretty handy. Also took 10 marks, which is not usual for Spargs. Uh, just gone through a few other Melbourne listed players that took control. I thought Tom McDonald started, a, started the game really strongly, kicked two goals in the first, finished with 13, oh, sorry, three goals, 14 touches, five marks. 90 dream team points. Do you think he's had a bit of an impact on the game? Piggy Hibbard had 17. The much talked about Brody Grundy had the 12 touches, 37 hitouts. So, look, I think he travelled okay. Um, it'd be interesting to hear a few more Melbourne supporters' thoughts based on the the eye test. Uh, some other players that really took the store or took my eye in terms of the stat sheet. Again, it's Luke Dunson. He's had 31 and two goals, constantly knocking on the door. But is the way he plays too much like too much we've already got uh, to be seen? Um, obviously, Clary was out for so long but still couldn't see him. Look, Disco Turner's return from injury was really strong and solid. And knowing that Joel Smith and Tomlinson have been, a, or more so, well, obviously Tomlinson in and out, but Joel Smith going from forward to back, forward to back, trying to work out the right balance there, which has been interesting. But Disco Turner had 25 touches, eight marks. So he had a very, very solid day. Um, that's pretty much it from from what I see in terms of, uh, I think, or Mona's Wakefield just seems to be playing a pretty decent role. Had the 16 touches, but looks a bit flashy as well. Yeah, look, Tom McDonald's probably just the major one that you'd be looking to come in straight from the VFL. We know Fritter is pretty much on the cusp. It's looking like that he he could be a walk-in start next week. So T-Mac could be, we were just chatting off air before, you know, could be an option to, to take on a Shaki sub role, which is a complete surprise, honestly. Uh, I didn't see the sub until after the first quarter started on, on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, if they if they want to trial trial that just to kind of work him back in and and get him some game time in the ones next week before the final series and see what he looks like. Yeah, and you can argue the fact that if Fritch is oh, Frida is ready to go, you can think Tom McDonald is a straight spot for for Frida in the forward line to give Frida potentially two two and a half quarters and then you know, T Mac quarter and a half. So you think that could be the ideal situation, but obviously we've got to. A form or form that needs to stay, and I think we'll touch on it pretty heavily later on. That's it. Oh well, let's let's crack into the game, hey? It's uh, I don't think there's much yet. Grundy, as you mentioned, I think again playing solely in the ruck, so not really even spending much time forward, which pretty much tells you like the writing's on the wall in terms of they've uh, they've ditched that kind of project and. Yeah, more than likely he'll be asking for asking for a trade at the season's end. So, be a lot to see unfold in that space. Back into the game, so um, it's real credit to the boys. Um, I think it was on uh, all of us to step up and, and you know, really lead from the front, and I thought we did that all day. So, we want to play our way. Just go after the boys. All right, mate. Credit to the boys. D's get on top, 27-point victory, uh, yeah, which pretty much came down to a, a big last quarter in the end where we were just able to get a bit more ascendancy on the on the scoreboard and a little bit more reward for effort after a bit of an arm wrestle in that first half. But look, first player I want to I want to mention and somebody who, yeah, look, another great story for the D's and who has yeah, just gone week in, week out, earning his spot in the side, you know, 10 weeks ago, you wouldn't probably think that he's in there. But Jakey Melksham, again, having a really important role, playing that kind of lockdown 
forward on a defensive role on, on James Sicily, who we know is in all Australian form, one of the best interceptors in the competition. But <laughs> like in parallel to uh, a bit of the Brisbane game in terms of his start and just his inability to be able to finish. But I just thought that his entire game, you know, to be involved in as many scores as he was, to do all the little things right, bringing the ball to ground in aerial contests, mate, he still gets up bloody high for for an old bloke. When I say old bloke, he's 31. You know, he's, he, yeah, I mean, finished off with three goals, four. It was, uh, yeah, he had career high, uh, sorry, tied his career high with eight score, uh, eight shots on goal, sorry. Uh, six of those in the first half. So all on James Sicily. And I love what you said just before when you said you're yelling out, um, be accountable, James, because that's what he's doing. He's going and playing on the best defenders and, yeah, like making that decision really hard. Am I going to leave my man to go and help out uh, my teammate and intercept or roll off? But, you know, Melksham has just been damaging uh, over the last few weeks and did it again on Sunday. Yeah, and I was talking to my Hawthorne mates. They were sitting right in between, mind you. I just said, why, why is James Sisley being so unaccountable? I mean, he normally does that, but he just couldn't read it because of Melksham's influence on him. He, I think a fair bit of the time, Melksham was making him choose. It, it made him be really indecisive in terms of going for the footy or not. So, yeah, real, really well done to Melksham. And, yes, you're right. I was just yelling out, yelling out to James to be to be accountable. And it was great to see. Uh, let's let's talk about a few other performances that really stood out. I thought Rivers was huge in our, in the first half in particular, but across the game. Probably to pair with him, I'd say Lever equally as, as important. I thought Lever probably had his best game of the year. I thought just more from an interceptor's role and, I think just it, even his ball use, I thought was really strong as well. Let's let's just uh, circle back to Trevor Rivers for a minute because yeah, absolutely in the first half he was the one kind of keeping his in it, and love saying that he was taking majority of the kickouts from that as well. But to finish off with twenty seven touches, that's it's got to be close to a career high for him. Twenty one kicks, uh, ten marks, and running at eighty two percent efficiency, which is. Yeah, incredible for somebody who, who does play with a lot of dare and a lot of dash. He takes risks, but he's able to pull these things off. And again, you're just watching the rise and rise of him. Mate, you've been on him since day dot, and you've labeled, labeled him as you know your boy and your love child, and you've been literally hammering on about him all year, as most, sorry, as most these fans should be super excited. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think I said that early in the year, I thought, I'm going to call it now and say Rivers is going to be in All-Australian next year. And I think just the way he's been able to increase his level of offensive drive, we saw, we saw the defensive efforts, that that defensive effort still there, the intercept game, and and now kind of using what he had the defensive side of his game last year and now adding kind of what Jaden Hunt provided us. I think having a good mix between the two has been amazing to see. And, yeah, we've got another weapon and a draft steal, kind of like you think in Sparrow in that, in that low 30s to mid to 30s draft pick and you think of how well our recruiters have been able to do to get him over the line and we can even touch on Juddy McVee's game too I thought Judd McVee again winning crucial one-on-one contests and you know he's been so highly regarded for it I think maybe Bruce might have pushed him in the back with one of them and I was a bit dirty on it I was like oh it's probably the third time he's lost this year Nah, but what about what about the mark one-on-one against Bruce though like that would that it, that was incredible. That was that was right in front of us, like where we were sitting. It, it was an amazing, you know, passage of play. But no, look again. As you said, you're still seeing this player now, who's who's about to chalk up 24 home and away games in his in his debut season. 
um, straight off the rookie list has been incredible. Uh, again, another story, and you talk about credit to the recruiters, mate. They've just found another a diamond in the rough there. And oh, look, it's he's it, got great role models down there to learn off. So you know, it's it's great that we're, I suppose, investing investing the time and the games into these young players, knowing that Maisie's on the other side of thirty. You know, having these players come in to to get games under their belt, to so when when you know, Father Time does come knocking on our on our big general and and our senior defenders, that these guys are ripe and they've got fifty to hundred games of experience ready to launch. But just while we're on defence, you, you mentioned him earlier, but Jake Lever, you, you called it at the top of the pod, probably one of his best games that he's had in recent times, and it was back to the Jake Lever of old, you know, when I say of old, but somebody who really kind of stood up in big moments and, and was able to kind of overtake the game at, at times. And, and, and it was. His intercepts were, were well on show midway through that third quarter and sort of heading into that last quarter. He just was able to mop up everything there. When, when Hawthorne started to lose a bit of traction and we were able to just get on top of possession and, and sort of cut off any of their scoring woes, him and Maisie really sort of as a, together as a unit really sort of stepped up. But, you know, Lever with the 10 intercepts, you know, you, you're looking at 12 kicks. And uh, where, are we, where are we at for marks? I've, I've lost it. Um, 13, 13 marks. 13, mate. Hey? Yeah, 13. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 13, which was, yeah, I mean, I can't remember the last time we hit double figures for marks. So, yeah. I mean, so, and nine I mean, of those yeah. in the, nine of those in the, in the second half. Yeah. And, and like, I think he was the biggest thing for us defensively to try and propel the ball back the other way because you probably noticed it a little bit more with us low on the eyes to hit targets, I thought, and that comes from the quick turnover. You know, you get start getting players open rather than that really slow entry. I thought on a day where our two big guns, Clary and Track, were, were pretty well held, I thought players were, were continuously stepping up, in particular in the midfield. I thought Gus Brayshaw, I thought Sparrow was super. I thought they they just really had a real dig in and just had some moments where you thought, you know, lucky we would have got these guys to continue that depth and, yeah, keep keep the other team guessing in terms of what we have. And, you know, if you got some of our stars down, look out because our depth, our depth players and role players are going to be able to still get on top of you. Yeah, and, like, there was a moment even with Sparrow, you, you, you know, hit the nail on the head there. There's a moment with Sparrow where he's able to cause a, a four-and-a-half turnover by just getting a hand into a handball and, you know, intercepting that or, sorry, causing causing the clanger and it ends up being the, the Chandler goal. But, you know, that's Sparrow's efforts there. And then and then his goal was just classic Sparrow goal, by the way, just him being able to pluck it and, and then throw it onto the boot, bending it in. But you're right, it, it was. It was it was odd to see uh, Clary and Trax sort of have a minimal effort. Now, Trax been a little bit quieter just given that he's been playing more in the forward half. But Clary, look, we we probably labelled it last week with McGuinness going to him. And, yeah, as Goody put it, like, you know, it's hard to play against a bloke that doesn't want the footy at all. So he's not even not even looking at the ball and his pure objective is just to negate the... Uh, the opportunities for for Clary, so look, he he would have been frustrated, and that kind of spilled over at half time when uh when they you know went to say hello to each other after the siren. Yeah, that's correct. And funny you say a bloke that doesn't really go for the footy. Clary only had one more touch than Finn McGuinness, surprisingly. So yeah. it's pretty crazy to think about that. But I'm sure Clary will be watching the game pretty closely because he hadn't been used to a tag for a while. So. Hopefully that does 
enable him to be able to wear that a little bit better. Yeah, that's it. And look, it's it's only his second game back. He's still working his way into it. And and look, when it came to big moments in the last quarter, I think that tag kind of softened a little bit in the fourth quarter and he was able to, to do a few nice things, kick a really great goal, you know, from a forward, I think it was a stoppage, uh, stoppage goal. And yeah, look, again, and, and track had... Again, track had you know when I was talking to you about Cosy kicking the goal for some reason I crossed my wires and it was the track goal that I was thinking of that that clever little soccer to himself off off the ground and then the pick up and then yeah to be able to bend it back it's a bloody loud roar from the crowd from that uh, yeah I, can I one, yeah I was sorry. say can I chime in here talking about kicking the ball off the ground Malcolm couldn't hit the side of a barn door with his first four shots on goal and his <laughs> first goal was a kick off the ground from the not near boundary. Yeah. Which was really nuts. But it yes, was. It, I thought Petrarca definitely stepped up in the last quarter. I think he had one kick to half time, might have been one kick through the first two and a half quarters. So he was pretty well held in terms of his impact on the game too. It was. Uh, last last couple of things. Massive, uh, massive advantage going inside 50 after quarter time. So, you know, being plus 27 inside 50s, you know that that was going to eventually wear them down. I thought at times with our forward line, we we did look a little bit small. We missed some of that tall timber. Hawthorne were able to get a f- you know a few intercept marks from there, not from Sicily, but just from some of their other defenders were able to sort of step up and, and we had some poor entries on, on that sense. But we were able to sort of wear them down. But I think the bulk of our goals, and you look at the way that we scored it, kind of relayed back to our defensive chains and we've seen in the past how explosive we can be from the center bounce and clearance but that wasn't you know that wasn't the way that we were were scoring on sunday afternoon we got pretty much dominated in a lot of the stats in the middle uh yesterday afternoon but melbourne were able to sort of you know get that transition back from half back relying on our rivers and levers and mazes to uh salo and bowser to to push the ball forward from there and, and we were able to sort of being able to break open the scoring chains from that. So I think that was impressive to see that we, we didn't have our day in the middle and in the contest were about what we would probably expect our big guns to do against the lesser lights in uh, in Hawthorne. But you know what? Found another way to win. Yeah, that's completely true. And yeah, plus 23 and inside 50s is always going to give you the opportunity to kick the winning score, isn't it? So yeah, I don't think much, much else from my end, but yeah, all in all, another another four points and yeah, marching on to a top four position. And yeah, we're still unknown who we're going to be playing in the finals. It could be yeah, any one of those four, really. So we'll be waiting to see. Quick shout out before we go. I thought Rue, uh, three goals straight, did some really great things around the ground, but also that mark uh, flying up in the in the last, uh, third quarter and the last quarter, I think. Um you know, being able to kick goals at crucial moments, but also just being able to steer him between the sticks. He's had a couple of off weeks in terms of accuracy, but he was back to his best and what he's been building on towards the year. Pretty, I'm pretty pissed. I'm pretty pissed off still. Um, it's not good enough. That's very unlike the way we've been playing, and something that we'll obviously review and get better at. Uh, yeah, it's not. It's not good enough today. Um, this team, this club's got to start winning games. Pretty pissed off, yeah. I mean, just lackluster first half. Probably not a massive concern, but our last couple of weeks, just the, our starts of games have probably been, you know, subpar to what we're used to. And if you're going to come up against a really quality side who can potentially pile on goals, and luckily for Hawthorne they didn't, but 
for Melbourne, you'd hope that next week against Sydney and, and building towards September that they're looking at that about how they start games and, and getting a little bit more reward for effort because I think they would have to be disappointed a little bit with the lack of intensity given that it was such a big game for for Maxi and for Nibbler and just for the occasion as well. Yeah, it's happened three weeks in a row now. You saw it against North Melbourne, how poor we were down in, down in Hobart. Then you you saw it against Carlton, where I think we got done twenty four to four inside fifties. Very lucky to be three points down the scoreboard. Then to be so badly beaten in possession in the first quarter was a bit. Oh, I definitely would say alarming. But minus the North Melbourne game, we, we defended super super well, and that that's obviously held us in good stead in terms of you know keeping the scoreboard not. You know, not letting the scoreboard tick over and make it hard for us to to get ourselves back in the game. And we, you've seen how quickly we can shift the momentum in terms of the way we play. And yeah, sides are going to be. I mean, the best way to beat us is to, to yes to get a good start, but then continuously build on that and keep the pressure up. Because yeah, once we get a sniff, you know, it's all she wrote. It is, and I don't know about you, but there was just at times watching the Hawthorne players bob up. Inside fifty when they're taking taking marks, and I'm I'm looking at the names on the scoreboard, and I'm thinking, who the hell is this? I've That's never funny. heard. <laughs> hey, even even the Hawthorne supporters I was with didn't even know who they were. I was like, who's oh. this Husway guy? <laughs> <laughs> like credit to them, they they've got a bright future ahead of them. They've got a really intelligent coach who's 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 shown that how much their their mentality can grow and and their ability to be able to stay in games and be a little bit more creative from the coaching perspective has yeah proven that they've been a really difficult opposition over the last sort of six to eight weeks. So, look, they're building, and credit to them. They played, you know, harder footy than we did. And look, at times, I think that Melbourne's just lack of pressure around the ball carrier and, and not really able to, yeah, to put the clamps on them. They were able to move pretty freely from from transition and and yeah that sort of allowed them to get some early early looks as well and at times look Bruce Connor looked threatening he's, he's been that player in the past that he's bobbed up and and done some damage against us but I think after the first quarter Melbourne was yeah to only concede another five goals after that I think they'd be pretty happy to look at 60 points for the entire game and and think that yeah you know you gave up the four four and a bit goals in the first quarter but to be able to stop that uh, was pleasing from from that perspective but yeah, you hope that they're trying to tweak those starts so that we're yeah really hitting the ground running from that first bounce and not allowing teams to get the jump on us. Correct, and it's got to start this week against the Swans because they've won. I think they've won six in a row, and they might yeah. have had a draw in there as well. So they're obviously flying into September and got very lucky against the Crows, mind you, which is in a huge talking point. And you know it's coming coming under scrutiny two weeks in a row. First us. Now, this is worse, but I might won't go into the legalities of that. I think one thing that really stood out for me is our ability not to make the distance from 40, 45 and just have Hawthorne players just mark it inside a play. I think just to see Ned Reeves take a few marks, I mean, yes, he's a big man, but where the hell are we trying to just crash a pack or do anything like that to try and yeah, potentially eke out another score? It's just, uh, it's just probably a little bit of that complacency, I don't know, you're just, just backing your team in and just setting yourself up. Who knows? What do you think? Yeah, I think there's just times, as you said, I, that they looked, Melbourne looked at times a little bit timid going inside 50. Now, Hawthorne was flooding their, their defensive 50 
But there was a moment even when Riv was heading inside 50 and could have easily had a shot on goal. 45 on the run. Like, you'd back him in all day. And, you know, for one one slight error that I noticed really in his entire game, he slowed down, panicked, and kicked a Lockie Hunter, who was 45 out on, not quite on the boundary, but on a pretty tight angle. And Lockie Hunter from outside outside there, I mean, he didn't, he didn't have a hope. And didn't go for the distance. Probably, probably just reached the top of the goal square. But yeah, some of the decision making there. You know, you look at the the Cozy kick, even within the first thirty seconds, just a complete miss kick. Just a few little things like that, as you said, Melksham. What at least one or two of his didn't make the distance. And I don't know. Am I missing anyone else? There's probably someone else there, but I don't know. They'll be looking at their high quality shots on goal and looking about where they want to get the ball placed. You know, with the best chance to score. Yeah, that's correct. And we spoke about how the reason why our, our misses happen so often in that period, that rough patch we had was yeah, from where we're having shots on goal. And yeah, when you well, when you flog, flood the back line, it's hard to to hit a, a target that's you know within thirty or even remotely close to goal. But to still, kick thirteen nine wasn't a terrible outcome. Definitely not. Definitely not. Mate, it's that hot that hop in D Life will display player of the year award week time. It is that did not sound like a sentence, but we'll roll with it. <laughs> uh obviously where we get to choose our votes for who we thought had the biggest impact on the game. Now probably a few standouts for me, and I'm gonna start uh, running off the ball, which I think you'll go a bit higher for this, but Jakey Melksham for one vote. If I thought if he was a bit more accurate, would have got more votes from me, but to kick three, four and have eight shots, I think, yeah, could have really ripped one through James Sicily and um, still had an amazing game, and I thought he did an amazing job in calming his influence on the game. Yeah, no, it's solid. Uh, yeah, I won't I won't comment on that because I'll give away the votes. But, look, my one vote goes to Jake Lieber. I think, yeah, just, again, stepping up in huge moments in that second half and, and yeah, was able to, able to get back to some of his best footy that we've seen probably consistently and it was great even sitting as low as we were and being close to him that you could you could hear his raspy voice uh, I'd, I'd hate to talk to him on a Sunday he wouldn't be able to say anything he'd just be he'd just be uh yeah horse ads because he's you know that he's barking at all his teammates and, and organizing everything out there directing traffic so no nah, love this game yeah 100% I'm going to segue to that to give him two votes I thought Rick Lever was back to his best and Hopefully, it's a nice springboard to him being, yeah, hopefully one of our best come finals time. I'm going to give Melky two. Uh, I just think that the start that he had, again, to have six shots on goal in the first half is pretty pretty incredible. And and yes, look, a couple more of those goes his way. He probably should have had at least five, but to have the impact that he did, yeah, again, I, I just love the little things that he did as well too. I think his, his ability to bring the ball to ground, to know when to... Palm it down to the crummers, the small forwards, to give them an opportunity, and you know when to when to take a hanger as well too. So I thought he was great and definitely deserved the two. Yeah, it was funny. He actually spoiled well, he and Cozzy spoiled each other. Both of them had a decent ride. I was thinking, oh, this could be amazing. And then you're right. I can't believe how high Melksham was getting at times. Crazy playing that key forward role. 
My three votes goes to the 2024 All-Australian halfback flanker, and that is Trent Rivers. I was about to say Jared Rivers then, but I, I can't marvel how I, – I don't know where to begin about this bloke, but he is just he's just amazing to watch, and he's starting to get more recognition from, from out. He's trying to get – or starting to get more outside noise, and, yeah, it's amazing to see, and it's a true testimony to, to what he's been able to achieve and, yeah, what we've been able to help him get all – helping get to and well not only more recognition from elsewhere but look he's got my three votes as well too but he's just crept into third spot on uh on the uh hop and delightful display award so he's coming in third on on 20 votes track is still well and truly uh the outright leader on 53 and uh and viney's on on coming in second on 30 but yeah rivers uh has come in Coming storming with yeah a couple of big games uh, in the last couple of weeks, so he's, he's copped eight votes uh, from us in the last two weeks. So good on you, Rib. Uh, we're, we're pleased with where we sit. We understand there's going to be some hype around how we're playing, but we also want to just take it you know one week at a time. And, and coaches say that a lot, and, and people, and it's just the reality. You can't look too far ahead. All right, mate. It's that best time of the week, and that's one week at a time where. I'm able to just talk absolute dribble and I love it. Just the oppo analysis kind of situation where we're going to be playing Sydney who are absolutely flying. And I think to a degree going under the radar in particularly because the last last year's grand final team, Geelong, being kept out of the finals, which is massive, but it's just propelled the Swans into their, their side you don't want to come up against, to be fair. And knowing that they're sitting sixth right now and have the potential chance to get a home final with a win over us but we're also vying for if something very very something that's left the center that could happen would be us getting a home final as well but things would have to go away but being the second last game of the weekend sunday 320 in sydney which hasn't been a happy hunting ground for us i mean i can just remember when jeremy howe took that mark of the year and I think they beat us by 80 points. It's just been a shocking joint for us to travel to. How are you feeling about this one? Look, they they are a team that that do worry me a little bit. I think I still think back to you know last year's qualifying final uh, against against them at the G, and and they sort of out and out had our number um, from from the get go. And look, they've been tough to play against now. They didn't start the season this year the way that probably everybody thought they would. But as you mentioned, they've turned around their form. They've been playing winning footy. But looking back to who they've actually played in the last few weeks, out of all the teams that they've played, there's a couple of good opposition in there. It still will take Melbourne's best footy. I think there's a lot of emotion going on in that game. So you're looking at Buddy's farewell up at the SCG. You know, everything that he's given into them. So that's going to give them that extra drive as well. You know, the home crowd advantage there. Look, honestly, I think it's a great tune-up for the finals for Melbourne to think about that you're coming up against a really red-hot team, playing at home, at their home, sorry, in front of a hot crowd who's who's there to commemorate one of the best players we've ever seen play the game. What a fantastic opportunity for Melbourne just to sort of make sure that they've got their game right heading into the business end of the season. So, look, it's, as you mentioned, they're not the same team as they were halfway through the season, 
they've had a severe drop off from their grand from their grand final really appearance, but they've still got some talented young players. They're going to be without potentially a couple of players next week. But for Melbourne, I'd just want us to cons- consistently play good footy and get our game right. Yeah, correct. And it starts to be fair. It's going to start at the selection table again, and it's where does that key or what does it look like? Because if Fredo is ready to come in, does that is that a straight swap for Bailey Laurie? What does that mean for the way Malcolm's been playing? Does it does it sort of mess around with things? Because it might have been Malcolm second game in the team and he was a sub that day where he come on for Fritter. So you think that that's the time that Melchon's been in the side and that's when Fritter's been out. Do they play too much of a similar a similar role? Is it gonna tinker with too many things? Do we go smaller ball and stay say with your your Joel Smith and your and your JVR type forward line set up and then keep Tomlinson in or do we go Joel Smith back and then we do we bring Tom McDonald in it's it's amazing what we're going to do or sorry amazing to think what we're going to do but it'd be cool to see Tom McDonald back I think just I mean it'd be another eye test of thing to see I mean I've been struck for trying to see how he goes but kicking three goals in the VFL helps uh obviously just trying to get some match fitness back into him talking about what that could mean for Fritter and T-Mac on the return could have mean Fritter coming into the starting lineup, playing two and a half quarters, Tom McDonald coming on as a sub potentially as a, yeah, as a maybe, but you think who else does go out of that side at, at the current second? Does, did, did Bailey Laurie do enough to keep his spot? Who knows? Um, yeah. What do you think changes wise? Yeah, it's it's a tough one. You don't want to see too much tinkering really in the last round of the season because really this is this is almost like your finals audition. This is your chance to get your final 23 locked in uh, heading into week one of the finals, knowing exactly what you've got in front of you. I'm pretty certain that that does not include Brady Grundy in that conversation at all. There is certainly some things to consider when it comes to T-Mac and Fritta, but Melksham definitely doesn't come out of that side. There's no way in hell that he, he loses his spot. I think they'll find a way to make them fit. Tomlinson's the the interesting one about how they make things work structurally. Now, is that a combination of having T-Mac's ability to go back and forward as well, kind of like what they've been doing with Joel Smith? Now, Joel Smith has done some... Good things the last couple of weeks. He's had two now, two weeks playing you know, a proper spot in the side. He's been playing four quarters. So, and he, he showed some good glimpses on, on Sunday afternoon as well. I think they like what he offers down there in terms of his athleticism. He's able to get on the scoreboard generally when he plays forward. And, and if we need to throw him back, then we can. Look, you saw they subbed out Tomlinson and Shaki comes in. So, I think they want to keep their options open, as Goody sort of talked about. I don't think Laurie keeps his spot for finals. I think that's probably like James Jordan out of the side. Do you see him coming back in at all, making making his way in? But there's probably nobody else. I can't see any really big changes uh, besides like Tomlinson. It's just it's got to be the last couple in, the last you know the first couple out. It has to be. There, there wouldn't be any yeah. surprises. We've also got thinking about Bailey Laurie. You've got your, your James Jordans, your James Harms also knocking. Waiting for a turn. Uh, they've been in the other side all year, and you know we've been constantly thinking 
I mean, not so much James Jordan. I think James Jordan's played his role pretty strongly when he's been in the side, but James Harms just not having his best year. And yeah, I don't know what that could mean for someone that's supported Melbourne for his whole life. And yeah, who knows where that's going to leave him. Uh, I've got to turn my attention to thinking about key matchups. And yeah, the, the thought that we'd have to deal with the McCartan brother would be nice because I think he'd mop up a fair bit. I think he got support, suspended for two weeks, I believe. Yeah. So he missed this week in the first final. Tom Papley did get subbed out. I mean, a double check might have been soft tissue, potentially a hamstring or maybe a corky, one of the two. Uh, it doesn't make sense if they were to, to sub him out in such a crucial game you know, at the start of the fourth. So obviously something's not right there. I think Heaney's in super, super form. He's there, he's there, Christian Petrarca. He's such a bull. He can impact the scoreboard. He's essentially can almost play as a second tall. That's how good he's going. You can play him through the midfield. You can do whatever you want with him. Luke Parker's always been a nice servant, but he's also played good footy against us. Keller Mills last year tore us apart, was able to nullify our midfielders and also win it on or win his own footy as well. I think Chad Warner's another player in which we we did shut down in the finals last year, but he's a player that could get off the chain and cause some problems. Personally, I'll go to the last one before I chime into your thoughts is Blakey. And Blakey just runs. He's the lizard. He's, he's bloody good to watch. And yeah, if we're not on our game, he'll intercept things and just carve us up with that leg speed. He will. He uh he definitely definitely has that ability to to slice and dice his way through from from half back and there's probably one other player that comes to mind when it comes to Sydney, and that's one of the rising stars in the competition in Errol Goulden because he is somebody that you know has really taken the league by storm this year, really announced himself as one of the premier wingmen in the competition, and and is very versatile. Like he, he damages in all areas. He's quick, you know, intelligent ball user, and can hit the scoreboard. So you know, there's certainly like the names that we've come against in the past, but I think Goulden's also one to watch in terms of his ability to be able to yeah. Almost win games off his own boot. Heaney, yeah, 100%, 100% spot on with that. He is the betrayer of, of their side and yeah, can easily nab himself three or four goals uh, and still get quality midfield minutes. And, and it's a really difficult matchup. He is, he is that power forward in terms of his, you know, hugely aerobic, but then also, yeah, can can do a lot in the forward 50s. So... It's gonna be it's gonna be a big game. Uh, the McCartan and Papley thing, it, it is considerable for for them in terms of big outs. McCartan, they'll definitely challenge it. I don't think he'll get. He definitely won't get off. I, I'd be I'd be surprised if they get it down to one. It was a pretty pretty bad knock. It's surprising that they let uh, was it McHenry take the kick as well too. Like is um yeah McAdam I think it was McAdam yeah shirt front. Mc- yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty um, gnarly. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Papley, oh, I don't, they won't fair, risk it. Yeah, Papley's one that he he always gives us grief. He's he's one that always bobs up for two or three, and then he yeah bloody does a hamstring charge him when he kicks a goal, but he's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> You'd see his uh, GPS numbers go through the roof when he kicks a snag. Um, and the final, like he, he he put the nail in the coffin in that final too. So like, yeah, we definitely owe him one. In that, that's sense. true. And yeah, I think if yeah we don't have to deal with him, that'd be a nice nice one. And yeah, hopefully we're able to get some quality minutes into him, particularly Fritter. And it'll be great to see Fritter back, knowing that he does tick the boxes because having him back for finals, he's a big game player. He's one that can just bob up, 
kind of like what Melkson's been doing, getting him hitting the scoreboard. He can kick your threes and your fours without even being really cited for the game. So, yeah, he's he's one that we definitely need come finals time. And, yeah, hopefully he's able to tick the boxes and potentially get T-Mac in for the sub role, which would be bizarre. But, again, we're looking forward to Thursday's match selection because or even Friday afternoon to see where we do lean towards. We talk here a lot about attention to detail. I know you do. You- in an investigation, details matter. That's as much detail as we're going to go into today. All right, mate, that, that does it for another week. Last round of home and away season coming up. It's, yeah, unreal how quickly the season can go. But forgetting that we've got an extra round, like 24 rounds, it's it's mm. creeping creeping to be longer and longer. But look, a lot lot going on in the footy world this this week and this round a lot a lot of uh, a lot of drama going on you've got the whole score review conundrum being brought up yeah with the Adelaide robbery on Saturday night which was as you mentioned before a big issue in itself and uh poor Benny Keys you know signaling to the crowd and then celebrating and uh yeah it was not to be so there's certainly that's probably a space to watch in terms of how the AFL certainly need to fix that issue up because if it's going to decide fate for teams about whether they're in finals or not or if it's going to decide the fate of a final or a grand final you know albeit they they have to have some better plans in place to to address that uh yeah, yeah. Didn't, no, didn't, well, yeah. i don't know if you've heard but the the goal umpire has actually been stood down i so did see that yeah yeah that's pretty pretty intense to to think about but yeah, hopefully they do get something sorted because that's two weeks in a row where, I mean, you can, I mean, the Carlton one probably is a little bit line ball. I mean, it can be Melbourne bias and say that that ball wasn't touched, but this one is so clear cut. And yeah, if it does cost someone in a final, but it's cost Adelaide the chance to win a final considering they're playing West Coast this week, which beat the doggies. So who knows what the hell they could do at the moment, but yeah, hopefully it does get fixed in the in the future. Just quickly, I know I don't want to go on it for too long, but um, Joey Montagna was brought up a, a suggestion on on first crack last night. And if you think back to what the NBA do with the the replay center, he's pretty much calling for the arc to be the replay center, and it kind of makes sense if they're already there watching the vision. Why, you know, just like cricket, just like soccer, why not review every goal? And have like make sure you've got the proper technology there, so you're able to see things clearly. But why not just be constantly uh, reviewing the footage without delaying the game unless it needs to be, you know, addressed? They actually do re- review every goal, which makes it the sad part. It's just because the umpire didn't call for the review system. That's why I didn't get called. So, yeah, but the arcs got to just make that call then. They they've just got to be yeah. the ones to step in. Like if they're going to be a third umpire, yeah, it's, or you know, yeah, not third they've umpire, they've cooked you know themselves. I mean? They've cooked themselves, and then yeah, their system is yeah, obviously not working. But the or the system or connection between umpire and and system yeah just hasn't hasn't worked in the last couple of weeks. But yeah, you almost think well, why have go umpires if we're going to be doing that? To be fair, and you think yeah. But why have cricket umpires as well too? It's the same same conversation. Yeah, it just doesn't make it doesn't make sense, does it? But yeah, I don't know. No one's out there. No one's out there to pot the goal umpires. Like, look, I don't know. I'm sure it's a difficult job, but if we're just going to make sure we protect, 
you know, the integrity of, of the game and, and making sure that the results are what they should be in terms of scoring-wise. Don't worry about on-field decisions in terms of, you know, stuff in play, but goals and points, like, make sure you get that right because when it comes to the end of the game, uh, consequences of that results in a team not making the finals, then mm. there has to be something done. The AFL needs it. Like, for Gil to come out and say that we, we it's human error, we got it wrong. We stood the umpire down. Like that's that says enough in itself. So anyway, we that's we we could have a whole pot on on those sorts of things. Uh, Dimmer's son's coach, world versus kept secret, came out today, and yeah, six years for him. So it'd be yeah, interesting. Good on him. Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens in that space. Who's going to flock to the Suns under Dimmer? And yeah, a bit of a change. Yeah, could be could we see Jack Rowell and Dusty join him coming out of retirement? <laughs> Dusty, It'd be maybe. pretty big for footy in Queensland, I think, having Dusty there. But yeah. not really the face of the AFL, but he could, yeah. He loves the lifestyle up there. But who knows? Watch this space. Big round of footy. It's top eight pretty much short up, except for the doggies sitting ninth. It's probably the last little item I want to leave there. It's going to come down there to the Giants, to the Giants versus Carlton, which Carlton have come out of the woodworks. And, yeah, Owl's been buddy. Wouldn't, won't shut up about him. It's... I mean, she's got a reason to be up and about about, but yeah, she kept saying, oh, go the Hawks, go the Hawks. You know, if we lose both, then they can steal the top four position. But yeah, it's nice to lock it up and yeah, potentially could see Carlton in the finals, which would be pretty bizarre. Hogs might kick 10 this week. Nine last week. I might see uh, the return of the return of Hulk no, Hogan. The return of, yeah, and him in Bedford, even great Nick. So yeah, yeah. Well, Hogan would be the saviour of our forward line to a degree at times at the moment but yeah let's let's wrap it up that's it well top four like as you said uh yeah it's a nice feeling hopefully we can get the win and continue to uh to steamroll into uh week one of finals but big thanks to our sponsors hobby and brewing and valley electrical group simo thanks again another week down episode 95 mate we're uh five away from the big ton almost almost there so yeah that's but that'd be the grand final pod could be. I haven't counted what we're up to, but yeah, it actually, yeah, probably almost work out uh, something close to yeah, that. Could be fate. Flag, could be fate, that. flag, flag pod <laughs> two point uh, It was funny, yeah. When we were chatting last week about going back, and I was listening to listening to a couple of the episodes, just twenty twenty one, getting too excited about uh, about flag this year. So you were yeah. that excited, you <laughs> thought you'd wear a dressing gown for tonight's. For tonight's podcast, so that's that's well done by you. Is that a pajama ch- top as well under there? No, it's actually my my school school polo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm blowing so, up. I'm spewing no. about that. <laughs> but uh, no, well, no, that's rolling to Sunday. No, most importantly, mate, calm the days. Let's go. Calm the days. Final time, baby. <laughs> <laughs>